Thank you, Ryan. Good morning, Redemption Parker. You guys are officially the early birds. Love it. Um, well, if you would, yeah, why don't you open up to uh, Exodus 33. We'll be there in just a minute. Exodus 33. I'm excited about this chapter this morning. Uh, about a month ago, February 8th, to be exact, it was just another chapel service at Asbury University in, in Wilmore, Kentucky. Matter of fact, the, the speaker this week was, was a nobody pastor named Zach. The celebrity pastor for Francis Chan wasn't supposed to come until the following week. Well, Francis actually never came at all because what, what began on February 8th as a one-hour chapel service didn't end until February 24th. You heard that correctly. What, what started on February 8th didn't end until February 24th. They called this the Asbury Revival of 2023 for those of you living under a rock. When the faculty at Asbury realized a special movement of the Spirit had showed up to Wilmore, President Kevin Brown sent out this message. There is worship happening in the Hughes Auditorium. You're welcome to join. Well, through social media, the word got out. And, and, and Gen Z showed up. For the next 16 days, about 15,000 people each day were in attendance in this auditorium that seats about 1,500. 24-hour worship service, 17 days long. Hungry Gen Zers would flock to the little town of Wilmore from all across the world down. Sounds crazy, right? But you can't blame them. God was in Wilmore. If you haven't seen the movie in theaters right now, Jesus Revolution, about the Jesus movement that took place 50 years ago, you should go see it. We should all long and, and pray for revivals, a special outpouring in the Spirit of God that moves the people of God. And so much of my own story and Holly's is the, is the fruit of what happened during the, the Jesus movement in California with the birth of Calvary Chapel and the Jesus freaks. And I mean, isn't there something in all of us that is crying out to experience God to feel him in a way that isn't our normal experience. Could this be the God-shaped hole that Pascal spoke of? This is why these Gen Zers drove across the nation and flew overseas to attend this Asbury revival. I, I had coffee with one of them on Tuesday this week. And this young man who was not a Christian but he grew up in a Christian home, whereas well, he was closely following his, his TikTok account, watching what was happening to people of his own generation, he wanted to see God move. Maybe God would even move in his life. 
but he left Kentucky disappointed. He said to me, I didn't feel anything, zero revival in my heart, which I'm concerned about. That's why he reached out for coffee. I was very excited to hear about his concern. God might be moving after all. I've known this guy for years. So what did I do? I didn't take him down the Romans road. I didn't pray with him the sinner's prayer. I took him to Exodus 33. Sometimes when we come to this passage where, where Moses cries out to God, show me your glory. And we might pray the same with the hope that we would experience God's presence like never before. But Moses wasn't seeking an emotional experience. Unlike many in our consumerist culture, Moses wasn't treating God as a commodity. Moses was seeking to understand the character, the nature of God. And when God reveals himself to Moses and to us with the weight of his glory, all one can do is behold her. So if you're not already there, please open your Bibles to Exodus 33. Exodus 33. If you remember from last week, Israel, on their honeymoon, commits adultery. They make a golden calf and worship it on their wedding night. Because their leader, Moses, was taking too long up on the mountain with their God. As God's wrath burned hot, Moses intercedes for Israel. And God relents. Blood is still shed as 3,000 people die. And God also brings a plague upon Israel. But through Moses' prayer and God's grace, Israel, shockingly, is still God's people. And God is still their God. Those we're going to see, there's some DTR that needs to take place. God is going to define the relationship in Exodus 33. So let's pick it up in verse 1. This is the word of God, church. Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, Amorites, Hittites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey. Um, okay. All seems to be all right. If you're an Israelite, you, you, you may be thinking, wow, after the, the golden calf, a little bloodshed, but we're back on the bus headed for the promised land. An angel is going before us to, to clear the way, and soon enough, milk and honey. Some of you guys like milk and honey, but, but just, you know, think of God, say, like, like, in and out burger and animal style fries. We're talking paradise. Well, unless you picked up God's tone in verse 1, Leave this place, he says, you and the people you brought up. Sounds quite different from just a 
few chapters ago when, when God, speaking of Israel, says, this is my treasured possession, my royal priesthood, my holy nation. Let's keep reading. Middle of verse 3 now. But I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. Well, I guess it's not okay after all. So much for the tabernacle project. That just got canceled. God tells Moses, these are now your people, not mine. But he also says that he'll still graciously bless them. The land, the provisions, the blessing, the, the milk and honey still coming for Israel. Everything they could have ever wanted as ex-slaves. Land, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Wealth, grandkids, acreage, food, comfort, and security. All theirs. Where everything except God himself. God won't be joining Israel. Now, before we see how, how Israel responds, I do have to ask, how, how would you respond? Would you take that offer? All the blessings of God. Think about that. All the blessings of God without God. Israel is offered the promised land without the one who promised it. I can't say it better than John Piper here, so I won't try. Dr. Piper says, The critical question for our generation, and for every generation, is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all, and with all the friends you ever had on earth, and all the food you ever liked, and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed, and all the natural be beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted, and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Be honest with yourselves. Friends, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? If your answer is yes, I, I say this with, with a spirit of, of gentleness and love as one of your pastors, but you're not a Christian. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Thankfully, even Israel says no. They reject that offer. Look at verse 4. When the people heard these distressing words, they began to mourn. These are distressing words from God. I'm not going with you. But also gracious words from God. If God is holy, right? If he's to dwell with a people like this, an adulterous people, this, this brings a holy God into proximity with a sinful people. That would not end well. So it's gracious on God's end to say, I won't dwell with you because if I did, that might be the end of you. 
So they've not only mourned, but these Israelites who at one point plundered the Egyptians for all their bling. If you skim through verse 6, now they're taking it all off. You, you can take Israel out of Egypt, but it's much harder to take Egypt out of Israel. So now Israel's realizing they don't have God. They don't have this jewelry. And it anxious to see what is going to happen next. Let's pick up the story in verse 7. Now Moses used to take a tent and perch it outside the camp some distance away, calling it the tent of meeting. Anyone inquiring of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And whenever Moses went out to the tent, all the people rose and stood at the entrances to their tents, watching Moses until he entered the tent. As Moses went into the tent, the pillar of cloud would come down and stay at the entrance while the Lord spoke with Moses. Well, Moses is meeting with God outside the camp, away from Israel. Everyone is on the edge of their seat. Like we're, when you're at a game and you can't sit down because the next play means so much. Each time Moses heads for the tent, Israel stands in suspense. And as Moses disappears into the tent, the, the glory cloud overtakes the scene. Imagine the silence. Like, what is God saying to our man, Moses? But instead of sitting there overwhelmed with anxiety, Israel does the one thing they nobody should be doing. They worship. Look at verse 10. Whenever the people saw the pillar of clouds standing at the entrance to the tent, they all stood and worshipped, each at the entrance to their tent. All right, Israel. I see you. Right? Quick application here. Do, do, do you let your anxieties get the best of you, or do you stop and bring them to the Lord in worship? Thus far in the book of Exodus, Israel has not been a people worth imitating. But they are here. Anxious Israel worships Yahweh as Moses speaks with God. Look at verse 11. The Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. But what were they saying? Look at verse 12. Moses again, interceding for Israel. Verse 12. Moses said to the Lord, Look, you have been telling me, lead these people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. You have said, I know you by name, and you haven't found favor with me. Here's what Moses is now saying to God. You, you gave me this calling to lead this people. I can't do this thing alone. I need to know, God, are you rolling with me? Moses is making a plea, a plea for God's presence. Moses is not going anywhere unless God is riding shotgun. God's people are not God's people 
without God's presence. Two things he specifically asked for here. First, verse 13, if you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Moses understands that right doctrine means nothing without right living. Those who are God's people must live their lives God's way. And second, Moses appeals to God's mission. Look at the end of verse 13. Remember that this nation is your people. Yes, Moses just went there with God. This cat is audacious with his prayer life. God said in verse 1, This is your people, Moses. Moses throws it right back at God like, Nah, God, this is your folk. The only other time this Hebrew word goy, or as we translate nation, comes up in the book of Exodus was in Exodus 19, where God is giving Israel its identity and mission. That if they obey him, they will be his treasured possession, his royal priesthood, his holy goy, the holy nation. Moses reminds God of his own mission. This is the mission that that goes back to God's promise for Abraham, that through Abraham's seed, the world would be blessed. Israel was meant to be a, a holy nation, a group of people where other nations would look at them and be drawn to their God. Moses is like, oh Lord, remember your mission Remember your people. And how does God respond? Verse 14. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. God ain't convinced. He's like, No, Moses. I make the rules around here. My presence will go with you, singular. And I will give you, singular, rest. Sometimes we we laugh where we read in Numbers when, when, when Moses is writing about himself and he says that he, he's the most humble man on the face of the earth. But if humility, like Tim Keller says, is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less, then Moses is a model of humility. His leadership has nothing to do with his own ambitions for his own glory. Oh, we need more leaders in the church, in our celebrity culture, evangelicalism, and in our homes with this kind of humility. God is offering Moses his his presence, his peace, his rest. And instead of Moses quickly grabbing that offer of power and prestige, he rejects it. He pleads again with the Lord. Look at verse 15. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go up with us, do not send us up from here. Notice the plural, us language. God's people are not God's people without God's presence. We aren't going anywhere, God, unless you go with us. Man, put 
Moses on Shark Tank, right? This is dude's not stopping until he gets the deal. And he's not done. Look at verse 16. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Again, he appeals to God's very own missionary heart. How are we going to be holy, distinct, devoted, a set-apart nation without your presence? Please dwell with us, God, so that your will for the nations can be done. And look what God says in verse 17. And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. That through Moses' persistence, God relents. Old Testament scholar Walter Brueggemann calls this responsive sovereignty. Though we we know there's a a category in our minds that we must have for God's total and complete sovereignty in all things, and also the reality of real human decisions, sometimes we can can live our lives like hyper-Calvinists, where Nothing we do matters because God is sovereign. If if you don't believe me, we we just have to look at our prayer lives and our evangelism to ask ourselves that we, if we really believe God uses our prayers and our witness to change the course of history, all under his divine decrees. At, at, At men's group, this evening, we're going to talk about having a, a, a vision for our families, how to lead well as men in our homes. And, and, and as I was thinking about this topic, I couldn't help but to think about a hero of mine, Carl Peterson, who's an elder at uh, Parker Hills Bible Fellowship up the street. Um, I remember asking him when he moved back from the mission field, and in four of his six children had just become adults. And all of them were passionately pursuing Christ. I, I asked him, Carl, how, how, how did you do it, bro? And, and, he, and he said to me, a lot of time on my knees, brother. Let, let Moses' audacious prayer life inspire you to hit your face on the floor in prayer. Amen. Well, God is going to dwell among his people after all. The, the tabernacle plans have resumed. God's people are not God's people without God's presence. But when Moses' appeal is granted, he realizes that suddenly he has a much bigger problem on his hands. Look at verse 18. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. 
based on on our desire to to experience God, which I believe is a good desire, I was tempted to drive out to Asbury myself. But we can often miss Moses' prayer here. Now, before actually sitting in this text myself, before jumping into any commentaries, as I just kind of skim past this passage, I saw that prayer, show me your glory. I thought that I, I was going to get to preach a, a extremely short sermon, and then we would spend the rest of our time praying with one another, asking God to, to show us his glory, seeking God's presence, maybe experience a little Asbury revival here, the Pace Center revival of 2023. That door would be steep. <laughs> and at first glance, it looks like that's what Moses is asking for, more of God's presence. After, after we hear that prayer, show me your glory, look what happens a couple of verses later, verse 20 and following. But he said, you cannot see my face. This is God speaking. For no one may see me and live. Verse 21, then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you may stand on a rock. When my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft in the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand and you will see my back. But my face must not be seen. Oh, what a picture, right? God places Moses in a rock and in this epic scene covers his eyes so we can't see God's face. And then the blindfold is lifted and Moses gets to see his backside. What the heck is going on here, right? <laughs> The literal translation for what the NIV translates as back in this passage would actually be from behind, from behind. We've already seen from this chapter that Moses does talk to God face to face as one talks to a friend. That's verse 11. Obviously, that's anthropomorphic language as God is spirit. He, he doesn't have a face so what, what is God saying here that if Moses sees his face, he can't live? Likely, this is speaking of the full weight of God's glory, the full force of God's glory. Christopher Wright, in his wonderful Exodus commentary, he, he says, it could mean that God's face in glory, that is the full glory of God as he is in his utmost divine being. That level of seeing God is not for any human being. Wow. So instead, Moses gets a glimpse of this glory from behind. Now, is that all? Moses prays, show me your glory. He experiences this glory, this presence of God to a certain degree, and all is well. Not quite. I, I missed an important verse on purpose. Right in the middle of, of Moses' request and the glory that passed him by. Look at verse 19. And the Lord said, I will cause all my goodness 
to pass in front of you. All my goodness. Hmm. Let's keep reading. And I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. Remember, Moses, I am Yahweh. God continues, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. Moses asked God to show me your glory. And God responds, I am good. I am Yahweh. I am merciful. I am compassionate. Does God even hear Moses' question? You better believe he did. I think we need to understand Moses' prayer in light of God's response. Moses is not asking to experience more of God's presence. I mean, if you've been tracking with us through the book of Exodus, you'll know that, 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 that Moses has experienced so much of God's presence in the past couple months, enough to last him a lifetime. So if Moses isn't asking for another emotional experience with God, what the heck is he asking for? One scholar says, Moses' request is found in the way God interprets and answers it. Moses asked to see God's glory. God tells him he will show him all my goodness and immediately fills that out with mercy and compassion. That reveals what Moses' one remaining anxiety had been. Remember that the reason God had said he would not go with the Israelites was the danger that he might destroy them on the way. So if God has now told Moses that he will, after all, go with the people, that danger is still there. You guys tracking? We saw Moses intercede for Israel. We saw God answer Moses' prayer. God will now go with Israel. But now Moses has an epiphany. Israel is still Israel. This is a stiff-necked people. Even my main man, Aaron, JV at best. God said, I can't go with them or I'd destroy them. Moses is like, oh snap, I'm, I'm about to go on a suicide mission. Are we going to get destroyed? Moses isn't asking to, to experience God in some crazy way. Moses is simply asking, God, are you safe? And just like Mr. Beaver told Susan in Chronicles of Narnia, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. God tells Moses, I am good. I am compassionate. I am merciful. I am, I am. And in that way, Moses experiences the glory of God. So, so, so what does this story have to do with us? What does this 
passage mean for us? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, chapter 3 and 4, Moses is using the events of what happened in Exodus 33 and 34, and he's speaking to the church, and there's what he says. He's, he's comparing the glory of Israel's old covenant with the glory in the church's new covenant. He says... If the ministry that brought condemnation, this is the old covenant with Moses, if the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brought righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? Uh, Maybe... Revival will come when when we wake up to the reality of what we already have in Christ. And we tend to look at at this passage this morning and others like it, and we can get envious of Moses and the glory he experienced. When in all reality, Moses would be envious of us. Well, the glory Moses was chasing in this passage was the question, God, are you good? And for the Christian, I get the answer to this question, and we, we don't get it from behind, but rather face to face. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul says, For God, who said, Let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ Jesus. The, the, The radical goodness of God is displayed in the scandal of the cross. It, it would have been perfectly good right and just and that while we were yet sinners God destroyed us but that's not what it says in Romans Paul says God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us Moses turned down God's presence outside the camp so that Israel could be who they were called to be, the people of God dwelling amidst the presence of God with the tabernacle. Well, Jesus likewise, and to a much greater degree, comes down, tabernacles among us, and then Jesus experiences the Father's absence outside the camp as he was forsaken so that we enemies of God because of sin can now be friends of God through faith but the cross not only shows us the, the goodness of God the cross shows us the deep deep love of God for you and for me so should we pray and seek revival Yes, let's do it. Should we individually seek the presence of God? Yeah, our spiritual disciplines class later today is going to be talking about meeting God in sacred scripture. 
Don't be envious of Moses going into a tent to talk with God. Put yourself with the word of God and prayer. Should we corporately seek the presence of God? Heck yes. We're about to take the Lord's Supper here in a few minutes. Don't just go through the motions. If only we could understand the, the mystery of Christ's presence as we as a church family partake in this new covenant meal. So yes, pursue God, church, and seek deep satisfaction in Him. But in our consumerist culture, we can easily fall into consuming God. Pursuing Him for an experience and then posting it on Instagram. Rather than beholding God for who He is. Evan Howard, an evangelical spiritual formation author, a professor, scholar. Some of you guys remember him from a sermon I, 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 I gave a long time ago. He's the guy I met on a plane. He built a cave in his property in Montrose. He goes and seeks the presence of God every day. Well, I went out to Montrose last summer to visit him. And one of the things he told me, he told me a lot of things, but one of the things he told me that I had to write down was this. I used to be obsessed with chasing the experience. The moments when I was overwhelmed by God's felt presence that I couldn't stop weeping. And praise God when these moments happen. But in my older age, I'm less concerned with those experiences and more impressed to see and savor God's character. What I most enjoy now is actually looking back at seasons of life because I see a God who is good, who is faithful, who loves me and is for me. Imagine living your life just beholding God, seeing him for who he is and standing in awe at his character, trusting his nature. God is good. Yes, Moses saw that. But in the church, we also see that, that God is love. That he loves you. Redemption, Parker, as we behold God's glory, oh, that we would be transformed into the image of his son. Amen. Yeah. To me, bright. Oh, Lord, we thank you for your grace. God, we thank you for the gospel where we get to see and experience your goodness. Wow. Lord, I pray as we, in this season, as we, as we inch closer to Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and Easter Sunday, that we would see you for who you are, that we would behold you as a church, that we would be changed as your people, God. Lord, we, let, we love you. Help us to go from here as your ambassadors, as your ministers of reconciliation. We pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.